and welcome to Regeneratively Speaking, a podcast brought to you by the Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I'm Emily Gregg. And I'm Joshua Huntsberger. In each episode, we bring you interviews with guest researchers and our Institute's faculty covering the latest cutting-edge research on regenerative medicine. Today we have Dr. Jordan Green, who's guest lecturer today at WFIRM, where he spoke on polymeric particles for gene and cell therapy. He's an associate professor of biomedical engineering, material science and engineering, chemical and biomolecular engineering, ophthalmology, oncology, and neurosurgery at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Welcome. Hello. (laughs) So during your talk today, you covered nanoparticle delivery systems. For our listeners, could you briefly recap on what this technology is and some of its promising applications in RegenMed? Sure, it'd be my pleasure. So what we do um, in my lab is we design different types of materials that interact with the body, biomaterials and particles. And then what we want to do is use this technology to engineer cells, so to get cells to have new types of functions that we design. And so some of these nanoparticles, the way they work is they enter cells and deliver instructions. Then those instructions are encoded in nucleic acids like DNA or siRNA, and they turn on or off um, different messages inside the cell so that it then does what we want it to do. So, for example, with a stem cell, that stem cell could maybe differentiate to become another type of cell, or if it was a cancer cell, that cell could self-destruct, and that we can give these um, this information to these cells in that specific way. The, the other side I uh, talked about is instead of giving instructions inside the cell, is we can make particles that then uh, mimic and, and, and um, sort of with camouflage present molecules the way that biological cells do. So what we have is a biodegradable particle, but another cell looks at it and it thinks it's another cell. And so if that biodegradable particle presents certain signals extracellularly to the outside of the cell, it can then engineer and program what that cell is going to do, again, to have it maybe um, follow a series of um, instructions that could help it for regenerative medicine or, in the case of therapy, treat a particular disease. Great. And when this technology is used in the regenerative capacity, is this considered regenerative pharmacology? So, yeah, so it's, it's uh, regenerative, regenerative pharmacology, regenerative medicine, or regenerative engineering, you know, all of these terms to d- describe uh, what we're doing. A, a big thing in our lab is that we try to use a product that um, doesn't contain cells, um, so an acellular product that could even be an off-the-shelf product, but then what it does is it directs cell function the way that cells sort of direct other cells to function. And so that we could um, do do things in terms of healing and regeneration, but maybe not necessarily even needing cells to, to do those outcomes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that was really cool. Also in your seminar this afternoon, you mentioned manufacturing for translational stability. Um, as the assistant director of the translational Tissue Engineering Center at Johns Hopkins. Um, how do you see the field progressing in the next five to ten years? Uh, so, so I, I see a, a few um, different areas of growth, and and so I think one of those involves um, ways that you can have more personalized therapies, and so I think that's something that um, is is growing, and sort of have medicine that's more stratified, and then eventually more personalized, and then that also uh, needs to go hand in hand with the manufacturing and regulatory ways that you can make new medicines that would be very personalized. 
Um, another area I'm, I'm very excited about is in um, immunology and immunoengineering. And so this is very important for um, transplantation and mm-hmm. uh, autoimmune diseases where you want to have the immune system suppressed, perhaps locally, perhaps for just periods of time. And then also for treatment of diseases like cancer, where by um, being able to do the opposite and to activate the immune system, you can be able to um, overcome cancer's defenses and have uh, one's own body be able to then attack and neutralize the the cancer. And so I, I think um, to be able to design and control the immune system will be a very important aspect of uh, tissue engineering and regenerative medicine in addition to other types of advanced therapeutics. Mm-hmm. And do you, do you see these um, technologies entering into um, standard of care uh, in the next t- 10 to 15 years? Yeah. Is that a... Yes, I, um, I, I think so. I, I think increasingly we're seeing both cell therapies and then other acellular therapies um, in, in clinical trials and moving through clinical trials. And so I think we're going we're gonna to see these in the next um, 10 to 15 years becoming a, a much uh, uh, bigger option. Uh, already in... Um, for cancer therapy, immunotherapies are, are really um, creating dramatic um, changes uh, for for many patients where conventional therapies uh, are insufficient. And we're seeing with transplantation how things like um, stem cells and uh, immunosuppression can enable um, very sophisticated transplants, um, you know, to, to to work for a long time. And and so I, I think. You know, we're, we're seeing those more and more. And there certainly seems to be excitement, too, in terms of biotechnology and, and commercialization for cell therapies, gene therapies, uh, regenerative medicine. And so with that kind of investment and enthusiasm, I, I think I'll, um, even, even though sometimes some of these um, approaches have certain risks to success, with that kind of uh, strong resources and, and enthusiasm that, that we will see ones that, that uh, are successful through clinical trials and, and help many patients and improve the lives of those patients and the families. Great. So we were also wondering, what are some of the projects you're working on at the Wilmer Eye Institute? So so our lab is uh, interested in, uh, in ophthalmology in, in different applications, and we're particularly interested in uh, leading causes of blindness. And so in the United States, the leading causes of blindness for uh, adults are um, age-related macular degeneration and diabetic macular edema. And so one of the things we're doing in collaboration with others at Hopkins is to develop new types of uh, medicines, in, in this case biomedic peptides, that are able to uh, block the growth of, of disease vasculature. And, and so this is kind of the opposite with regenerative medicine. Mm-hmm. With regenerative medicine, we want vasculature to grow so that it'll um, feed the, the tissues and the constructs with, uh, with oxygen and nutrients. Mm-hmm. But with these diseases, we want to stop the abnormal blood vessel growth from the back of the eye. And, and the, the vessel growth and leakage um, ends up causing blindness. And so we're developing these peptides that then stop the growth reverse the growth, cause regression in the neovasculature, and also significantly uh, stop leakage. And, and so we're seeing in rodent models and in rabbit models that then this technology is uh, very promising. Um, and, and so we're excited about you know, moving this forward and, and hopefully enabling um, patients to, to see better. And then the other side of this is by using controlled drug delivery technology, we can have it where the active agent, this uh, peptide or biomolecules more generally, 
can uh, slowly come out of the biodegradable safe particle for long periods of time. And so how this disease is treated right now is that you have an injection into the, into the eye, an intravitreal injection, and then for a lot of patients, this is done every month. Mm -hmm. And by having uh, particles that could slowly release over time, we could extend this out to many months, you know, perhaps you know, every six months or potentially even longer. So you could have an agent that could work better, and then you don't need these frequent injections yeah. in the eye. So we talked about numerous appointments, and we were wondering, um, how do you maintain focus on particular projects with having so many um, well, <laughs> appointments? Well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's busy. It's busy. <laughs> but I, I think part of it is, is just work with really excellent people, and, and so I, I feel um, very lucky to work with uh, so many great people. So in ophthalmology, for example, Peter like, uh, people like Peter Campuschiero at the Wilmer Eye Institute, um, in neurosurgery, working with people like Henry Bram. Um, in immunology, working with people like uh, John Schneck. It's, it's uh, great to work in these collaborative teams. And, and that's one of the things that I, I think uh, enables our lab to do work in all these areas is that um, there, there's sort of different teams for these different yeah. kinds of projects. And, and so it's just very exciting uh, to, to work on these in, in parallel. And then, um, you know, great students that then you know, it sounds like all these different projects, but then for the students, they have a particular focus for each of them. So the lab overall is moving in these directions, but it's, you know, focused with the individual researchers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's actually a great segue I to know, our I was about next to question. Say, yeah. So speaking <laughs> of students, um, what one aspect of your doctoral training at MIT do you think that you have found particularly helpful? Um, and what would you recommend to an aspiring scientist sort of looking to go into regenerative medicine? Well, I, I think there's two aspects. So my um, PhD and postdoc training were both at, in Bob Langer's lab at MIT. And so one of the things that really struck me there was it was a very interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary environment that um, it was one lab, but it, it had so many different uh, interfaces with different uh, personnel from different departments with different training. I really saw how important it was uh, to, to work with different disciplines together to go after big problems. And, and so that, that, that was a good thing and a very critical thing to have this multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary, and, and sort of the convergence in, in biomedicine, in regenerative medicine. Um, and, then, and then the other side is to ask uh, important questions, big questions, and then take risks, which goes hand in hand with then that interdisciplinary way of sort of finding your way through uh, a new frontier where it's mm -hmm. not known. Mm -hmm. um, and I think those are good things for uh, trainees to think about, to leave their comfort zone and to go into new areas and, and to sort of say yes and, and, and to see where it leads them. And then um, to, to work in teams and learn from people from other disciplines. So to talk to clinicians and MDs and, and to understand what the problems are and talk to patients, understand what it's like from their experience. And then if they're able to interact with um, people on the business side and the commercial side to understand what companies see as the opportunities and also the risks. So with really new technologies, there's, there's also different um, risks in terms of, well, how are you going to produce that on a large scale? Or is this something that uh, we'll move through the FDA in a way that could be understood. And, and so if you understand that landscape, it could help you in your design to look uh, for a solution that would um, help all these stakeholders 
you know, be, be happy with the, with the idea that um, the patients and the clinicians, you know, it makes sense to them that other sort of commercial stakeholders feel that it's, it's something that um, will have a trajectory that can, that can move into clinical trials and then ultimately help patients. And that's the whole, the whole point, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's exciting science, but that it could ultimately lead to, um, you know, improving patient lives. And, and so I, I think then for trainees to do that, to uh, sort of uh, ex- explore these new areas and to interact with people with different kinds of hats and, and learn from them are, are really important things to do. That's great. That is great. Um, so I guess in conclusion, do you have any sort of take-home messages for our listeners today? Um, I, I'd say it's just a very exciting time right now. I think it's a really a golden age in, in biology and bioengineering and regenerative medicine. And so if it's something that um, they're excited about, they should go into this field and um, and follow that passion. And there's a lot of space to explore and to make a difference in terms of both discovering new phenomenon and then innovating new uh, ideas for for products that can help people. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, that's great. We definitely appreciate you stopping by. Well, yeah. thank you so much. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. That's all for this episode. Be sure to listen next time for the latest in regenerative medicine. This podcast is a production of the Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine, part of the Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center. For more information, visit our website at www.wfirm.org or follow us on Facebook and Twitter at WFIRM News.